I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Eddie Sice is a best-selling author of six novels, Her books have been included on best of lists by Good Morning America, The New York Post, Pop Sugar, Parade Magazine, and Pure Wow. Her current novel, The Break, is a Zibby's book club pick for November. Katie is a former TV host and jewelry designer and lives outside of New York City with her husband, four children, and a golden retriever who has finally calmed down. Love those golden retrievers. And today, she's joining us at the writing table. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited. Well, I'm excited too. Your book has been all over the place. I mean, you're kind of on fire in the best way before we talk about your new book and just talk about how you got here. You originally worked as a ghostwriter before you wrote for young adult audiences. So how did you get that start as a ghostwriter? It was a very circuitous route. I started out in college. I was an actress and I was studying theater and certainly some writing too, but I graduated and I was acting in these films and, you know, maybe making like a dollar every five months or they were all free. I did a lot of plays and it was so much fun, but I sort of realized that I had to figure out a way to make a living creatively. That hadn't really taken off. I was always writing ever since I was young, probably since I was seven or eight. I can remember being up in my room writing stories. But at the time I was about 24 and I had been bartending. I was working in a friend's boutique and, you know, helping her sell clothes. I really loved that. It was really social. It was a fun environment to be in. And they had all of this jewelry out. And so I thought, okay, why don't I try to see if I could do it too? You know, sort of when you're 24 and you, you kind of think you can do you anything. think you can do anything. <laughs> like, why wouldn't I do that? I tried that and it sort of took off in this strange way. These celebrities started buying it and then it started to be featured in magazines. I sort of thought to myself, well, what if I use this new style thing, this new fashion thing, try to use some of that TV background and that on-camera background and maybe start to host some style segments. And then that led to writing this book called Creative Girl because I thought, okay, there should be a book about this that, you know, you can, you say yes to a lot of things and you kind of work in a circular way toward your creative goals. You can sometimes make a career out of it that way rather than thinking that you have to just do this one specific thing. Like I'm, I have to be an actress and that's it. And of course, some people feel that way and, and that's totally fine too. But for me, I just wanted to tell stories and be creative and kind of live in the world of entertainment and creativity. So once I wrote the book, Creative Girl, it was a nonfiction book, which are sort of notoriously easier to sell to publishers. Mm-hmm. A little bit easier to get an agent that way is, is what I've heard, even though I've been writing fiction. Now that's been my world. But back then I had this wonderful agent and he sold that book. And so then I said to him, well, what I really want to do is write a novel. You know, and I was really worried that he would say, you're a nonfiction writer. You make jewelry and you do this and you're yeah. doing camera stuff, but fiction, are you sure? But he said, go ahead. He said, when I take on a writer, I take them on for life. So show me whatever you got. Let's go. Let's make this happen. And he's still my agent, you know, 13 years. Oh, later. that's awesome. Amazing. Amazingly supportive. After that book came out, I was like, okay, well, this is, must be how it goes, right? You write a book proposal and you sell a book. I tried to write a novel and it got turned down. It got, it got close. It went to acquisitions and acquisitions meeting at a couple publishing houses. So it, it did get close, but ultimately got rejected. That was a paranormal suspense and it was 350 pages long. I loved it so much. And so I was, I was you know, pretty sad when it didn't work, but 
I was talking to a few friends of mine. They had done some ghostwriting. And the positive about ghostwriting is that you're almost really learning the craft, but it's not your name on the cover yet. The hope is that you get good enough at it that you can one day sell your own series, which is what eventually happened. So I sent in a sample to a place that was looking for ghostwriters. I sent in a writing sample and they ended up taking it. So I did two books for them, a rewrite of one book and then two additional books. And then when that was done, I submitted a proposal for a book called The Boyfriend App. And that was submitted to HarperCollins. I worked with this woman named Brenda Bowen, who had been in the industry a long time. She was so smart. And she said, you know, I think there should be this book about a girl who can use this app to get any boyfriend she wants. And she said, why don't you just go ahead and have at it? And she just gave me all this freedom and encouragement. And so we tried that and it sold and did well. So I wrote three young adult novels for HarperCollins. And then uh, after those novels, I remember I had a rewrite for one of them, a revision. And I was sort of telling my agent, you know, this, this was maybe back in like 2017. And I said, okay, I'm a little tired. I think I need like a little break and which I don't usually say. And so he said, well, how about you take this summer and just write something that you would really like to read? Just write the novel that you want to read this summer. And so I sat down and I wrote, we were mothers, which I wrote in about six weeks. Cause I was so excited. It was new. It was adult. It was suspense. It was, you yeah. know, different. We ended up selling that. And so that's sort of been where that all kind of came into writing adult suspense. I did another book with that publisher with little a, it's the literary imprint of Amazon publishing. And now the break is the third book with them. And I have two more suspense novels lined up with my editor at little a. She's really wonderful to work with. And we really, we really hit it off and connected and kind of had this great working relationship. So it's always nice when that happens. Your newest novel has been chosen as a Zibby's book club favorite. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell us about the break. So the break is a story of a young woman who has her first baby and she has a very traumatic birth. She's at a New York City hospital and she can't remember much of what happened during the birth. And she comes home with her beautiful newborn and everything should feel good and should feel right, but it just doesn't. She feels like something is wrong. She's dealing with a lot of postpartum anxiety and she can't really tell what it is that just feels so wrong. She loves her baby very much. And her husband, sort of to help her get through this, hires a young, beautiful babysitter named June. She's only 22. She's an actress. She's working currently at the agency where my main character's husband is a screenwriter. So he brings June into their home thinking, okay, you'll have extra hands, another young woman here to support you. And Rowan looks down into the bassinet one day and she accuses June of harming the baby. So, Mm -hmm. but June has not. And she realizes that her little girl is sleeping there peacefully and that something must have gone horribly awry in her own mind for her to convince June of this horrible thing that she has not done. This chaotic scene ensues where she's accused June of this. The neighbors have heard her down the hall yelling and shouting. People have come to see what the fuss is all about. And then June leaves in tears and upset. And then days later, June disappears. And of course, Rowan is a suspect because the neighbors heard the screaming and they heard the commotion. But to find out what happens to June, Rowan needs to put her mind back together and face some really dark truths and dark corners of her mind. It was an interesting book to write because in a lot of ways, it was easy to write the characters in some ways because they're the most like me of any book that I've ever written. June is very wide-eyed and she's come to New York and she wants to be an actress. And I just remember those feelings where you could be in a room and you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know who you were going to meet. You'd be walking around wishing that you were sort of a part of things. And then sometimes you would get a little taste of what it would be like to be a part of things. Like I remember when I was around 24, I got to go to a table reading and I was the reader and it was a staged reading. And it was at Playwrights Horizons, which is where June goes to a staged reading in the book. And she sort of like gets this feel for what it would be like to be these people that are like telling the story, either writing or acting in the story. And she just wants a little bit more of that. And then Rowan, my young mother who comes home with the baby is a mystery writer. And she just reminds me a lot of myself as a new mom. And they were really fun to write. They were 
women that I really loved writing about. Well, and you have four children, is that correct? Yes. It sounds like it was pretty easy for you to put yourself in Rowan's shoes as a mom. What were some of the things you drew from? I would say those early days when you're nursing around the clock, if that's your situation, you're exhausted. And also just the fear of like when someone has put this beautiful new baby in your arms and what if something goes wrong and you, what if you're doing it wrong and just like uh, all those fears. So what do I do with this? What do I do with this little thing? Yeah. And so I think all those fears, but then she's in this really heightened situation. So it's like, now she has this horrible thing happens. This woman disappears among all of these, this postpartum anxiety and these postpartum, you know, having a traumatic birth experience. She has to then get out there and still get to the bottom of this thing that's threatened her family. You've written YA, you've written psychological thrillers. As a writer of psychological thrillers, do you see things differently as a parent now? Do you think there's a filter that you see things differently? I don't want to say paranoid, a little itchier than maybe you might have been if you aren't a thriller writer. I think so. I mean, and I think it works in both directions. Like I remember being little and I had this imagination and my parents were like, what in the world is like, this imagination is just so big and it's coming up with these wild things. I remember as a little kid, like having just that like underlying level of, oh my gosh, well, anything could happen. That sort of feeling. And so I think then when you're a parent, now you're really starting to think of all the things. My friend was planning a, like, just a graduation party. And I remember she said, well, like, what could really go wrong? And then she was like, don't answer. Cause I know you're going <laughs> to. So I do think when you have that kind of brain, it's good and it's bad. It's good for your creative work. Sometimes I have to remember to kind of turn it off and certainly can take over. What did the research look like for the break? I talked to a postpartum doula, an OBGYN. My sister's a physician and her husband's a physician. So often I will have medical questions in all of the books. So she bears the brunt of those, um, <laughs> bears the brunt of the real life ones and the ones for the book. But I would say for this book, I remember my friend who is no B telling me, you know, without giving anything away, we talked about like, what is realistic and what is not. Mm-hmm. Also, my mom's a trauma therapist. So I talked with her. Oh, cool research for this book. And I talked to other friends of mine who are therapists because there's like a very intense therapist-client relationship in the book. So I talked to three therapists to sort of parse through that and just to make sure, I mean, there's little things you don't think of. I remember one of my therapist friends saying to me, she wouldn't sit behind a desk. I had a therapist behind this like very sleek, modern Mm -hmm. desk. And my friend said, no way. In this setting, she'd be sitting on a couch. There wouldn't be anything between them. She'd want to appear more open and understanding and welcoming. And so there's a lot of little things that somebody will pick up on. And mainly the postpartum, I really wanted to know that I was treating this very sensitive issue in a sensitive way. I wanted to deal with postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression and traumatic birth and all the things that are dealt with in the break in a sensitive way. I mean, that's always what I'm thinking about when I write. So I needed readers to really look and look at it from all the angles and make sure from both a professional standpoint and just being a woman and being a mom, you know, was this how it felt to them? Other books, it's been more in the crime. Talked to an an investigator for the last two books, but this time around, it felt more nuanced. I'm so jealous of you growing up with a mother who's a trauma therapist. Like every young woman needs a parent in the house who's a trauma therapist. And you could say about our relationship is like, you could say anything to her and she never gets defensive. She just listens. She's like, oh, she might say like, you know, listen to how you feel. and like, oh, I, I hear that I made you feel that way or whatever, you know, whatever she has some, she'll say it better than I am. And to this day, I can still be like, mom, you know, I mean, you know, we all tell our moms like, oh, mom, when you said that, you know, whatever. She's never defensive. It's wonderful. It's a good open relationship that you can talk about. Oh, that and, is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So cool. I, I did not grow up with a mom like that. 
Maybe That's all should, I'm going to say about that. I should, I should probably go to therapy school so I can give my children the same, you know, instead they have a mystery writer mom who's going to be like, don't go in that bounce house at that party. Yeah. It happened. You know. How has your publishing experience changed from when you published your first YA novel? Oh, that's such a good question. I have not mastered Instagram and TikTok. I try to be better because I know that there's such a vibrant community there. But I would say that's the biggest change. When I first started publishing with HarperCollins, that was in 2013. The first book came out. They sent me on a book tour. That was awesome. And now I feel like writers are doing so much of their own PR and being their own machines and becoming more of the brand. I have to work on that a little bit. Like I have to really be on there, becoming my own sort of I don't know. Brand always sounds like a ridiculous word, but that that's what it is. I mean, right? Like mm-hmm. they're right. Like, the really successful authors are able to be a presence on there and talk about their books and their process and what they have for breakfast. So I'm I'm working on it. Any tips? Funny because this morning I was running some errands, listening to the shit no one tells you about writing. Mm-hmm. And Bianca Murray was talking about TikTok. You know, it's that nagging, I know I should be doing this. I know I should be doing TikTok videos. I have a TikTok, but I don't think I've put anything on there. I think I'm just on there following other people. And I don't even know when the last time was that I was on there. I do try to post on Instagram. But how old are your children? They're 11, eight, and then I have two four-year-olds. So so. 11, eight, four, and four. So there's, there, you know, maybe when there's more time in the day, it feels like it takes a long time. Like I have about an hour and a half to write each day. I'll drop my girls off at preschool and then I write. So there's not a ton of time. You know how it is. I feel like when you're a Mm -hmm. parent, or probably anyone feels this way who has a job yeah. or anything, any responsibility. There's so much administrative. So I usually get about an hour and a half of writing a day, take care of some things that need to get taken care of. And then, you know, I go pick everybody up. Still, it's no excuse. And you have to get the writing done because you, you can't sell books if all you're doing is on TikTok. Right. So, you know, you have to have the books, but, we'll to get but it is right. this last week when the New York Times thing came out about Colleen Hoover I and, love that and I... It was, yeah, and it, they were talking about her TikTok. And so I went and looked, like, how is she doing this? How is she doing all these books? And she's like, I can write a book in five days. And then she's doing these, t- and then she said her husband pretty much does everything. And she said her sister does some things. I mean, she sounds like she has a team around her, but it's hard. I mean, and I don't know how, with four babies, I tried to write when my kids were younger and I could not get, I just couldn't get it done. I could go write for other people, but I couldn't get my writing done. It's funny because the writing part is so relaxing that I remember when my friend was so, she was like, I'm just so impressed. And I was like, don't be impressed. I mean, it's almost like me saying, well, I went to the gym today. Are you impressed? Like, I feel like the writing is the relaxing sort of the stress relief. It's always been like that outlet. So even if I didn't have a book under contract, I would still right. do the thing where I was like, I better do this today. It'll feel good. You know. <laughs> <laughs> About how much are you writing in an hour and a half? Like, do you do word counts? Do you, yeah, I do. I do. do. You- Word count's helpful for me. I know some people find that to be sort of too much of a rule or too stringent, but I like to set a word count. Years and years ago, in fact, when I was ghostwriting, I was really trained to write a lot of words in one sitting. So I could easily sit down and write 2,000 words, but I can't do that anymore. I don't know if it's because, again, having little kids or there's a lot more life stuff to do. So now I'm easy with myself. I just say, just write 500 words, but I shoot for 1,000. So like a monster day for me now would be two to 3,000 words. Those mm-hmm. days rarely happen. Usually I just say, okay, just sit here until 500 is done. And then if mm-hmm. I can sit till 500, I can usually sit till 1,000. And then I stop. I remember one day I wrote almost 10,000 words. And That's granted, I started like it. I think I got up that morning like at four and yep. I just went and didn't have kids at home. I mean, it's just me and my dogs and, yep. and my husband and after publishing that threshold for what's okay to write, like I don't want to just 
write so fast that I have to go back and redo it all. And I did, I'd have to go back and redo it all. Like I'd get the story down, details had to be changed. Do you think that that's part of it? You're a little more careful with what you're writing when you're putting the words down? I think a little bit. Some people will write an entire first draft without editing, but I can't do that. I always start the next day by editing the days before because otherwise I feel like it's behind me and it's a mess and then I can't go forward. If I feel like this is in decent shape, this is all right, then I can move forward. Maybe you're right because when I outline, which I don't usually do because I like to sort of watch everything as though it's unfolding right then. I was just telling someone this, but the person who ends up doing perpetrating the crime in the break wasn't who I thought it would be. I kept thinking uh-huh. it was character all the way through. And so I like to be surprised and I, I'm pretty good at trusting that the characters will reveal themselves. But you know, I think when you're trying to make it perfect enough, at least good enough to keep going, maybe, yeah, maybe it does slow you down. I'm, I'm a lot pickier about what I'll allow to stay. Yeah. I can't move on until I fix this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll know that like I, okay, go in and, and flesh it out more and describe the room more later. But if I know something's just not right, I, I've got to fix it. I've heard people that write mysteries, how important it is to outline. They have to know where it's going because there are all these little threads they have to pull. And so they have to know how they're going to get to that. You really don't know how it's going to end. I really don't know how it's going to end. Like really that is amazing. Don't know. And in fact, it's funny. I don't want to give anything away. It's happened to me now in so many books. It's almost like I understand the characters and I understand enough of what they want, at least the ones who I'm writing their point of views. Mm-hmm. Then I absolutely watch it like a movie. I have a general sense of where things should go location wise and next scene and who needs to be in it and what part of the story needs to be told. I have absolutely no idea who did it. And I have no idea who's going to do what during the novel. Like it's funny because Rowan, my character in the novel, or in fact, Gabe, her husband says about her, one of the reasons that everyone is so surprised by Rowan's killers is that she has no idea who they are as she's writing mm-hmm. them. She's surprised too. And that's how I feel. Sometimes people will be like, you got me. Like, I couldn't figure that out. That was a surprise. That was a twist. And I'm like, well, me neither. I 100% thought it was the other guy all the way through. Like in this book, and I don't think this will give anything away. There were characters that I just thought would become romantically involved. And it was like, they just wouldn't. I mean, they just would not. I kept putting them in a scene. I kept <laughs> they were going to. And then they didn't. And so, yeah, there's a part of me that I love, love, love movies and TVs and a really good suspense series. Like I love to watch. To me, that would be like the dream. It's just a book that gets made into a, you know, a TV show or a movie. So in my mind, that's what I'm watching. I feel like I'm just watching them in a room. These like beautiful creatures from my imagination who I love and sort of care deeply about, which is insane, by the way. It's not. You know, I just love to watch them. And then I sort of think, well, they'll show me where they need to go. Like they'll just do their thing. And and then I kind of just sit back and relax and let them do their thing and and have a general instinct about it. I hope. I mean, I think they surprise me all the time. Fun for you. Makes it more fun. And it makes me want to sit down. You got to find out what's going to happen today. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. So many true crime series and podcasts and things like that. So when you're not writing, are there any of those that you watch or listen to? So I'm a huge scaredy cat, which is really <laughs> ironic. I can watch stuff, but it can't be too dark. And so I don't really listen to true crime. I find like true stories a little too upsetting, but my friends, they are obsessed with the true crime podcast. I mean, they will talk about them. Maybe I would love what if I started it, but I haven't gone down that road yet. So mostly we watch all kinds of things. I'm reading, I actually have my, st- right here is my stack. I'm reading, Sarah Shepard has safe in my arms. I absolutely loved Zibby's memoir. I loved bookends. Yes. And I read all kinds of things. My friend Jen Kalanita has a book out called 12 to 22. 
which is like an adorable middle grade. Is it a middle grade or YA? I'm so out of this genre lately. I kind of get my hands on anything and I love a good story. So when I was in high school, sometimes I would watch soap operas, much to my dad's grin. Like he would come home and if I had one on, like I'd get home from school a little early, I'd have practice, some kind of sports practice later, but sometimes I would tune into a soap opera. He would just be like, oh my gosh, Katie, enough of these. But (laughs) I love a story. Like I love people who can tell a story. When you're in the grip of someone's wonderful story and you just want to live inside that story, like you're at a party and you found the man or woman who can tell a story. And you're like, yes, just tell me a good story. So (laughs) I used to feel that way about soap operas. I feel that way about any book, any genre. I'm all in. I just want to be told a story. So I think that's what motivates my work is just telling a good story and knowing what parts to cut. Someone once said, you know, fiction is life with all the boring parts cut out or something like that. So knowing where you have to cut, knowing what not to say, knowing what to talk about, trying to practice that each book. I don't have it down to a science or anything, but I'm trying to keep getting better at it. A lot of times I'll turn on like without a trace. Remember the without a trace show? Yeah. I I will turn on the reruns of that. The crime that took place in my book took place like in the late nineties. So to remind myself of the procedural pieces of it, but I'm really not watching it. And these ladies that I work out with, I, I meet these ladies three times a week, very early in the morning. And they are like obsessed with true crime. The conversation is always about a true crime show. I'm kind of on the outside listening going, okay, all right. So yesterday I turned on something called the Poughkeepsie tapes. Okay. Don't. don't. I can usually like handle it. No, it was 10, 15 minutes. I said, I can't do it. Met your match right there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Right. So, you know, it's interesting too, because it's like, what makes us so obsessed with these, with all stories? It, it is sort of how we all connect is through yeah, yeah. good or bad. You know, you tell someone a story about your day. These are the things, but I just love, I love storytelling. I love, love going to a play. Like I love every kind of possible. Tell me a story. That's what I should call my memoir. Tell me a story. <laughs> Do you find that as a writer, I don't want to say it's ruined us for watching you know, movies and TV and all that stuff, but, but you see things differently. Like you can see the writing, you can see the kind of that underpinnings and the structure that you never saw before. Definitely. Or like sometimes I'll say to my husband, we'll be watching something and I'll be like, well, the way I would write it. And then I would say like, (laughs) what I would have the guy do. And he's like, okay, (laughs) it's nine at night. All right. (laughs) You write it. I'm, you know, when you watch it, you're thinking of all the certainly the dialogue and you're thinking about like, well, what are they setting up here? When they show us a character in that light, what's that character going to do later? It's fun to watch. And I've learned uh, the more I've done it, my main character says this in her book too, like the more you have them on the page, the more everyone's invested. So you have to make sure that the person who either ends up committing the crime or the person who plays like a really important role, like you've got to show them. People don't just want someone Mm -hmm. out of left field that you haven't even talked to care about that person you learn, okay, like if I put this person in here on page 40 and then again here and then again here, and it's going to be this satisfying amount that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, I never saw her coming, but I really care. It doesn't feel like it's just out. We don't want to know it was like a homeless man that nobody ever saw. (laughs) No one ever saw except your character walked by him like five chapters ago. Right. When you're not ensconced in projects, what are you doing? I'm playing on the floor with the kids. I'm reading. And I also really love tennis. It's this really funny thing that started in the last couple of years. I kind of took it up a little before the pandemic. I was like, oh, my friends play. I should try to play. And I love it. It feels like just such stress relief. It's so fun to like run after a ball. So I love to play tennis and I really love to play with my kids. Do you do pickleball? Everybody loves pickleball. I haven't done pickleball, but that's also taken over. You know? Yeah. We, when we moved to Kansas three years ago, everybody was playing pickleball. We're like, what is that? And now like we play three or four times a week, but it's yeah. really fun. I love it. I think, I think especially because the last few years we've been so 
knee deep in the pandemic. It's like sometimes just to be able to laugh and be with your friends. The little there's little things that I don't think ever take for granted again. I mean, Mm -hmm. just being able to like gather and like laugh. There was a cover. I think it was Town and Country. I remember it came out, and the cover said, "Remember fun." You know, and it was like perfect. It was like, oh, right. You know, so I think yeah. the little things, things we used to do to do. Yeah. I'm a golden retriever fan. Tell me about this golden retriever. Who's finally calmed down. <laughs> so Norman, we got Norman, um, Norman, Norman, Norman. So let me start by saying, I thought I was like a wonderful dog trainer because I'd had a wonderful dog. Her name was Greta and she was a Bernie's mountain dog. And it turns out I am not a good dog trainer at all. We had to like have a professional guy come and tell us all the things we were doing wrong, which we were lucky to have because he was great with him. But Norman is this big love. He's like a huge love of a golden retriever. He is such a love. He barrels through the house like a linebacker. And it's just like, he, he eats everything. He eats toilet paper rolls. He eats any single thing he can find. And so there's so many little kids around here. That everyone like leaves things, you know, cause, cause they're little. So he's wild, but he is I love, and he's really good with the kids. And that's why I think people tell you to get a golden. He loves the kids. So I can't really ask for anything more because he's so sweet with the kids and loves them so much. And he makes everybody really happy. It's just, he is so wild. I don't know how to describe him other than like a linebacker who's just trying to get into stuff, eat stuff, run past you really fast and knock you off balance. But he's really calmed down and we love him. We love him. How old is he? He's two. I've had... I think we had four goldens. Okay. And the last one passed away before we moved. They're just the sweetest, but every one of them at two, it's like something clicks at two. So, all right. Well, that's, I think about where we are with him. Like he turned yeah. two in September and suddenly we're like, oh, we can see that this is going in the right direction. I bet he's having so much fun with your kids. He's a good boy. I mean, I'm thinking about him right now. I'm thinking, oh, Norman, I mean, just want to give him a kiss. It's just my Bernice always just wanted to sit and lie mm-hmm. down. Her life was like, let me lie down at your feet. I will look at you lovingly. I won't eat anything. I won't run and knock into things. I will just be the best behaved dog. And then now I'm like, oh my God, we. What happened? happened? He's really awesome with the kids. We're very lucky to have him. What's the most fun about writing? Oh, that's a great question. You know what? I love, there's this moment after each book, and I always say it's my favorite moment, and it still is now. I love when my dad. And my godfather, my uncle Bill, read the book. Like, I just love that they love it. And they talk about the characters like they're real, which is the way I feel. I, of course, think the characters are real. And they have all these nice things to say. And it just feels like this feeling of like, okay, you raised me to think that like art books that have value and that stories Mm -hmm. have value. And they kind of let me do my own thing. Let me be a theater major. Thank God. Um, (laughs) Then when you get to do it and it works and and someone can read the work, whether or not it's published, when your family can Mm -hmm. read it. I just love that part. I really love that part. It feels like a continuation of being little and, and putting on plays with my siblings and having my parents watch them. And just, I, I love that feeling. I think that part's really fun. There's the feeling when the book comes, like I love to hold it in my hands. I, that that never gets old. And then the actual writing process, it, if I'm pretty well rested and I have a cup of coffee and I'm like, okay, it's really enjoyable. You have days when it's not enjoyable, of course, right. but- it's pretty fun to write. It's a lucky thing to be able to do, to have a space that you can work in and have a laptop. And because for all those things to come together, a lot has to happen, right? Like you've got to have a safe space. You have to have the tools to be able to do it. The time, which is, which is asking a lot. There's a lot of time that goes into it. I think we're lucky if you have a a spouse who says, this is your dream. Do it. Definitely. Yeah. And I think when other people value your work, 
whether that's your writing group, it can be, yeah, it could be a writing group. It could be a friend that you send pages to like that, that feels fantastic. There's a community in that too. That's the aspect that I miss from acting. I loved rehearsals. I loved being with like <laughs> 10 creative people and you're working to do something and like you're laughing, you're having fun, uh, which is probably why I like tennis. Like you're working <laughs> full with other people who are happy to be there and having fun. And that, I do miss that aspect because writing is very solitary, as you know. Brings out the introvert in you. Yeah, for sure. I never would have thought I would call myself an introvert. Now, it's, I think the longer I do it, the more I like being alone. I realized that I think also during the pandemic, I was like, oh, I am an introvert. Like I'm a very social person. Mm-hmm. I love to connect with other people, but I also love just that quiet by time. Your own time. Do you have any advice for newbie writers? Always to keep writing. To me, a lot of times, the difference between a writer who's published and not published, and let's say publication is your goal. I think if you're a newbie writer and you just want to also just write because you love it, I think that's equally wonderful. If your goal is publication, I think a lot of times the writer who keeps writing and keeps trying it and keeps getting better at it and doesn't stop is the person who ends up with something published, whatever that means for that person. The novels keep getting better. It's like Mm -hmm. anything else. If you were to take a math classes for 10 years, you would get stronger and stronger and stronger and advance and advance. Writing is just something that takes a lot of practice. My first novel didn't sell. I'm glad I didn't stop. And it took practice and doing the ghostwriting like we talked about and different things. Being in a writing group is really helpful because other writers can see things that you can't. I think setting a word count goal, for me at least, really works. Trying to hit that each day because it's just like a muscle. When you work out and do that every day, your body's just like, oh, that's what I do every day. And it becomes a little easier to do. Katie, I've really enjoyed this. Same, same. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really, really fun. To learn more, visit katiesice.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.